Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. The mission statement of our church is to help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. Today, John begins a series on the three purpose statements that help us stay on mission in this message. We're here to lift up Jesus. What specifically can we do to help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ? You know, I've often heard it said that when it comes to God's work, we should pray as though everything depends on God, and we should work as though everything depends on us. And so I think that's pretty good. And so what do we do? We think, okay, now God, what would you have me to do? Well, we don't have to sit down and try to make things up. God gives us in the Bible some very clear purposes of why we're here, and let's look at these three purposes, and we're going to deal with them over the course of the next three weeks. Number one, our purpose is to lift up Jesus. Number two, to build up believers. Number three, to reach out to others. Those are the three purposes of the church. They're laid out in the Bible. That's why we're here. Now, this morning, we're thinking about lifting up Jesus. I'm going to show you a verse in John chapter 12. Jesus talks about this whole idea of him being lifted up. And he's talking about the cross, but the application still is true today that we are to lift up Jesus. Notice he says, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Think about that. Jesus has made a promise that if we will simply, lovingly lift him up, that he will draw all people to himself. It's not our job to save anybody or even to draw them to Jesus or to pull them in his direction. That's his job, but it is our job to lift him up. Now, you're in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Let's see if this Old Testament story can help us understand why it is important to lift up Jesus. And the first thing I would say about that, I'm going to mention three things, and that'll be all for today. But I want to just mention this. The first thing, the first reason we should lift up Jesus is because we have a, there is a universal problem in the world. You have it. I have it. The Pope has it. Ministers have it. Democrats have it. Republicans have it. Everybody has this problem. There's a universal problem, and the problem is sin. The problem is sin. Sin, we would say to a child, anything we do that makes God unhappy. The Bible definition of sin, missing the mark or falling short. And we've all missed the mark, and we've all fallen short. Now, in Numbers 21, the Israelites are in the, in the wilderness. They're in the desert out there, and they're wandering around, and they're complaining. And let's pick up in verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water. And our soul loathes or hates this worthless bread. And so here the children of Israel doing what we often do, complaining about their circumstances. God, if you're good, why would you allow this to happen? Verse 6, so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. And so God got fed up with their complaining. God's thinking to himself, I brought them out of Egyptian bondage. I've given them manna from heaven. 
I've given them all the water they need to drink. I've met every need that they've had. Their shoes are not wearing out. I'm, I'm right there with them. I'm leading them with a pillar of cloud at day, a pillar of fire by night. And all these people do is complain. And God said, I've had enough of it. And he sent these poisonous serpents in their midst. And these serpents began to bite these Israelites. And the Israelites began to die. And they had, and this is a picture of sin. There was a common problem. I was interested to read. I, I looked this up last night because I, I, I thought I knew approximately, but I didn't know exactly, that in the course of life, uh, before we die, almost 40% of people will get cancer. I, this next statistic I did not know, and it really surprised me and concerned me, 50% of American adults currently have uh, heart disease. 50% have heart disease. But think about this. 100% of us have sin disease. We have all fallen short of God's standard. We have all missed the mark. We've all done things that make God unhappy. We're sinners by birth. We're sinners by nature. And we're sinners by choice. And our biggest problem is our sin problem. There's a universal problem. But think about this. There's a singular solution. There's one solution to the problem of sin, and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, beginning in verse 7, we read how, how this is pictured in the Old Testament. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, that is, this bronze serpent, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, that he lived. And so you can imagine all this, hundreds of thousands of people, maybe around two million people in the desert. And I don't know, thousands Hundreds of thousands, we don't know how many, tens of thousands have been bitten by these snakes and they're dying. And so their family and friends are seeing this happen. And even the ones who are bitten that haven't died yet, they say to Moses, Moses, you've got to do something. We have sinned. We have, we have doubted God. We've complained against God. And now this is his judgment on us. Please, Moses, do something. Moses prayed and God told Moses what to do. He said, Moses, make a bronze serpent. Fashion that serpent together. Get it in the fire and in the heat. Fashion that and then attach that bronze serpent to the, end, to the end of a pole. And then you lift that bronze serpent up. And anybody who has been bitten by these poisonous snakes, if they'll just look to that bronze serpent, they'll be healed. Now, had I been Moses, I would have thought, now, what is it about looking to a bronze serpent? I mean, it seems like they would need an injection. It seems like they would need some more medical better medical treatment. But look, what is the connection of that? Well, the connection is that this is an Old Testament picture to Jesus Christ being lifted up on the cross. And if we will look to him by faith and trust in him, then he will save us from this disease of sin. Look in John chapter 3. Jesus spoke these words himself. In John chapter 3 and in verse 14, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Jesus is saying, that was a picture of me. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then the next verse we all know, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son? Say the rest of it with me. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so Jesus was saying, that serpent in the Old Testament was a picture of me. Now notice this. God didn't say to Moses, Moses, I want you to build a bronze serpent. Then I want you to build a copper cow. Then I want you to build a silver bird. And then, Moses, I want you to make a cardboard camel since you're out here in the desert. And then I want you to make an aluminum alligator and maybe a couple more of these animals that you just choose. And then put each one of those animals on the end of a pole. And, Moses, you hold up one of the poles and get some of the other leaders and let them hold up another pole and tell all the people out there who have been bitten by one of these poisonous snakes, if you'll just look towards any of those animals, then you'll be healed. You'll be delivered. No, he didn't say that. God said to Moses, there's one thing I want you to make, a serpent. And when the people look at the serpent, that is the way. That's why I'm saying there is a singular solution to the problem of sin, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. And it says to me that as the church, think about this, as the church, we're not a restaurant. We're not a political party. We're, we're not a school. We're, we're not a law firm. We're not a plant. We are the church. We are the called out believers of Jesus Christ, the family of God. And we have something to offer the world that we can offer in a very unique way. And that's why every time we gather here for a service, whether it's on Sunday or Wednesday or Tuesday or any other time, listen very carefully to me. We are here for one primary purpose, and that is to lift up the person of Jesus Christ. And it is to say to those who are here, to say to those who are watching, and hopefully that we can say to those beyond the walls of the church, the answer to your problem is Jesus. The solution to your sin is Jesus. And one of the things that I take very seriously as a preacher of the God, a God-called preacher of the gospel, is that when I stand in this pulpit, or my dad stands in this pulpit, we have a calling and a commissioning on our lives not to stand up here and hash out our political opinions. You say, don't you have political opinions? Yes, I do. But I have something more important than an opinion. I have a calling on my life. And my calling is not to hash out political opinions. My calling is to lift up the person of Jesus Christ. That's our calling. That's your calling. Now, that doesn't mean that you can never address something that's going on in the world. You can, as it's appropriate from the Scripture. Certainly, you can, and at times, we should do that. But listen, listen to me very carefully. You listen and say amen. We are not here to curse the darkness. We are here to shine the light. And sometimes I'll hear a preacher preach, and he spends his whole sermon cursing the darkness, and I'm more discouraged when it was over with than I was before it started. We're not now. Sometimes we have to expose the darkness. We have to say this is sin. Certainly we do that. But our calling is not to curse the darkness. Our, pro, our calling is to shine the light. When you go home at night, if it, you get home at 10 o'clock, and you didn't leave any lights on, and so you're stumbling around, you get in your garage, you open the door, there's your laundry room, you don't see any light. What do you do? Do you curse the darkness? Do you try to sweep the darkness away? Do you rebuke the darkness? No, I don't do any of those things. And if you do, you need help. If you do any of those things, you need it. No, what do we do? We flip the switch. We turn on the light. And then the light makes the darkness go away. You see, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He knew that we would live in a dark world. 
But the solution to that is that we would shine the light. And we have a message. I've written this in my notes. I want to say this to you. No sin is too big. No problem is too bad. And no situation is too hopeless for Jesus. Aren't you glad that God doesn't look at the bigness of your sin and he forgives us if we will go to him in faith and asking him to save us? So I'm saying to you today, think about this. There's a universal problem. It's in America. Our problem is not, we say our problem's in Washington. That that is a problem, but that's that's a problem that's the result of a deeper problem. The problem is sin. The solution is Jesus. We have the solution. If we ourselves are filled with Jesus and satisfied with Jesus, we can say to others who are searching for Jesus, but they don't know what they're searching for, listen, I have found in Christ the peace and the joy and the forgiveness and the assurance that I'm looking for, and you can have that. There is a singular solution, and it is in the person of Jesus Christ. But think about this third truth. I want to just put this on your heart today as well, and that is there's a sense of urgency. And I think this is one of the things that the church of Jesus Christ needs today is urgency to be about our Father's business. You know, there's a passage in the Old Testament that talks about people who were not really urgent about the things of God. They were kind of laissez-faire. They kind of laid back and, you know, just kind of taking life as it comes. And the Bible says, God said, you are at ease in Zion. Now, Zion's another name for Mount Zion, Jerusalem, where they live. And God says, as I look down from heaven at you, you, you look like you're at ease in Zion. I think God would say to many of us today, you're at ease in Pasadena. You're at ease in Deer Park and Laporte. You're at ease in Houston. People all around you are dying and going to hell, and you are at ease. It doesn't seem to bother you. I guarantee you, when God said to Moses, Moses, make this bronze serpent and lift it up on that pole, Moses didn't say, well, God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get around to that next week. God, I've got some other things I'm trying to line out this week. And next week, or maybe the next week, if I get caught up, maybe in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to get that serpent made, and I'll put it on a pole, and I'll lift it up. And then had Moses done that, tens of thousands more people would have died. When God said to Moses, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, lift it up, Moses did that with a sense of urgency. Why? Because he saw that people all around him were dying. And yet, people all around us are dying. They're dying without Christ. And yet, I'm speaking for me, Maybe it's true of you. Sometimes I look at my own life and I say, I do believe that Jesus is the singular solution to our problem. I am satisfied with him. I do love him. But maybe I myself don't have the urgency that God would have me to have about getting the gospel message to as many people as I possibly can. I read a statistic this week. I I didn't know the number. It's staggering. But last year, in 2021, approximately 69 million people died worldwide. Now, you know, 8 billion people almost, 69 million died. But I can't get my mind around those numbers, so I tried to, I tried to break that down. That's approximately 189,000 deaths a day. If you took Deer Park's population and Pasadena's population and you added those together, it's going to be somewhere in this 189,000. So 189, the population of Pasadena and Deer Park is dying every day. Now, we wonder, how many of these are saved? How many of these are unsaved? Well, only God knows. But we know 
that the number who claim to be saved is on the decline. And we also know from what Jesus said that we are to enter by the narrow gate because wide is the path and broad is the way that leads to death. And so Jesus says to us, there are more unsaved people than there are saved people. So let's just take that number for simple math of 189,000 and let's give people the benefit of the doubt. And let's say that half of those who die are saved and half are unsaved. What does that mean? That means that every day, approximately 94,500 people die without Christ. Now think about that. That is a staggering number, but I still can't hardly get my mind around that. So let's try to give a better illustration of that. A Boeing 747, which is a large, a large airplane, may not be the largest, but it's one of the larger airplanes in the world. It holds 467 passengers. If it's full, there are 467 passengers on board. That would mean, we're talking about 94,500 people dying every day without Christ. That would be the equivalent of 202 Boeing 747s crashing every day, falling out of the sky and crashing and everybody on board dying. Now, what would you do if you got home from work tomorrow night? And you turn the evening news on, Lester Holt or whoever you watch for the evening news, and they began the program by saying, ladies and gentlemen, we've had another bad day in the skies today. 202 planes have fallen out of the air, and over 94,000 people have died today. And it happened again yesterday, and it happened the day before that. And we're seeing a pattern. Over 200 planes every day are falling out of the sky, and over 94,000 people are dying every day. Now, what would you think if you saw that? I'll tell you what I would think. I would think, I'm going to drive to Dallas. I'm not going to fly up there. I'm going to drive to Dallas if that many planes are falling out of the air. And yet, that's how many people, conservatively speaking, are dying every day without Jesus Christ. And we have to ask ourselves, do I have an urgency? You see, those 94-plus thousand people who died yesterday without Christ, it's too late for them. Now, you think about that. They're in a place right now that the Bible calls Hades, and Jesus said, when he was telling a story one time in, in Luke chapter 16, he said, Hades is where the unsaved go immediately after their death. Paradise, heaven, is where the saved go immediately after their death. But Jesus said, you need to understand something about those two locations. If you're in Hades, you can't then pass to paradise or to heaven. A great gulf is fixed between these two locations. And I'm saying to you, 94,000 500 people. What would that mean in, in this day? We're not even anywhere near halfway done with this day yet. Since midnight this morning, half of that number. So what are we at? 45, 46, 47,000 people since midnight. I woke up this morning, went out and watered my grass and exercised on my treadmill and had some breakfast. And so since I did that this morning, that's not been that long ago, that 25 or 30,000 people worldwide have died lost with Christ and they've ended up in a place where it is too late where they can no longer change their mind, where they can no longer be saved. Their decision 
to reject Christ is sealed. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon said this, when a tree falls out in the wilderness, whether that tree falls to the south or to the north, where that tree falls, that's where it will lie. It won't get up again. And that's how it is with us at the point of death. We die, and when we die, we die in an eternal condition, and we go to an eternal place. And once there, we are there for all eternity. And I'm giving you conservative numbers saying that every day worldwide, over 94,000 people are dying lost, going to Hades, eternally separated from Christ. And I'm asking you today, And as I point that finger at you, I've got three fingers pointing back to me. I'm asking me today, is there a sense of urgency about that? Or do we say, well, it is what it is, John. It's always been that way. There's not anything I can do about it. Man, I've got my family. I've got my life. I've got my responsibilities. I've got my job. And man, I wish that all gets saved. Wish that all gets saved. Jesus Christ has left us on this earth and placed a calling on our lives that we would devote our lives to sharing his message, his love, his grace, his death, his blood with a world that largely rejects him. And it's on us. And we have to ask ourselves, am I urgent? Am I driven by that? Does that bother me that this is happening? Or am I more interested in how much money I have in my stocks? Am I more interested in my house? Am I more interested in my friends than all these people dying without Christ? 202 airplanes flying out of the, falling out of the sky every day of unsaved people. But that number is still staggering to me, and I tried to break it down more. Did you know that there are 86,400 seconds in a day? 86,400 seconds in a day. That number is pretty close to the 94,500 people who are dying every day without Christ. So now I'm kind of getting on something that I, could, that I can grasp. That means in less than a second... Every second of the day, somebody dies lost without Christ. Let me say that again. In less than a second, for every second of the day, somebody dies lost without Christ. Now, I can finally get my mind around that. And so I think about that number, and I'm a visual or, you know, a a learner that likes as many helps as I can have in learning. So I wanted something. This is not visual as much as it is with our, it's, it's auditory, it's hearing, a second. Less than a second, every, every, sec, every, every day, somebody dies lost without Christ. Listen to this. That snap is coming slightly less than a second. And so that snap represents a person. Every snap represents a person dying unsaved, headed to Hades, ultimately to hell, separated from God forever. No more sermons, no more invitations, no more chances to be saved. And God says, I've placed you here to get the message to them. Now think about this. What has God placed the church in the world to do? I'll tell you what he's placed us in the world to do. To lift up the person, the life, the death, the blood, the resurrection, the forgiveness, the grace, the hope, the mercy, the healing, to lift up the person of Jesus Christ. 
in our daily conversations, not just in the pulpit, but in our daily conversations. Why? So that we can slow the snap. So that we can slow the snap. Do you need the peace that only Jesus can give? You can receive it now. Won't you pray with me? Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, please let us know by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.